Well, we are walking through the book of Galatians right now, and uh, we're about halfway through at this point. So if you've missed some of the sermons, or if it hasn't quite clicked for you yet, um, I can actually summarize the entire series, and really the entire book, in one sentence, and it is quite simply, it's all about grace. It's that simple. It's, we even named it that, you know, we're just, we're so clever, like, it's, but that, that really is what it's all about. This is what Paul, the author of Galatians, has said to us again and again and again and again and again and again in every possible way that he can. That it's about grace, not about the law or the rules you were told to follow. It's about grace, not your background or previous life or previous experiences before the gospel. It's about grace, not the customs or the traditions that you or your family or your people group used to follow. It's just about grace. And so now as we've journeyed about halfway through this letter, Paul's going to start to build on that idea. He's going to build on the idea of what grace is and how central it is to to our faith and move into what that actually looks like for us. What does the fullness of grace look like for us as believers? And so this morning, we're going to read a lot of, of Scripture. We've got a big chunk of Galatians to get through. And, I mean, I'm not going to apologize for that. Um, you've come to church. It's, it's my job to teach you the Word of God. That's what I'm going to do. But I don't want you to get overwhelmed by it. You know, I don't want you to be like, oh my gosh, she's still reading. Oh my God. You know, or, or get too um, stressed out by some of the, the concepts, because it is pretty meaty, the things we're going to dive into today, okay? But I'm going to read it, we'll talk through it, I'll read some more, we'll talk through it, and so we'll journey through this together. Right? Sound good? Right. Okay, let's get started. So, we're in Galatians 3, uh, verse 15. It'll come up on here. Feel free to use your Bible apps, use the Bibles around you to follow along too. But it says, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds meaning many people, but end to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Let's pause. So from now on, any time you hear or see the word seed, that's Jesus, okay? What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why, then, was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So the law was added because of transgression, which is a slightly fancy word for sin, until the seed, remember the seed is Jesus, so until Jesus came, okay? The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. 
A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Okay. There was a lot in that. But essentially what Paul is saying is that we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to what the original promise of God was. Because the law wasn't the promise. The law was added to it 430 years later. So we need to go back to to this promise, this original design and covenant that God had for us. And to do that, we need to understand Abraham. Now, anytime scripture points you to another part of scripture, whether that's a story or a character or specific verses, that is a massive flag waving and shouting at us to go back to whatever it's referring to. Because we cannot understand it fully until we understand what it's referencing. Okay? So, to do this, we're talking about Abraham. His story is in the book of Genesis. And this promise and covenant that God gave Abraham, that Paul is talking about, it actually occurs several times throughout the book of Genesis. Uh, The Lord gives it to him again and again. He expands and gives a bit more detail through it throughout the book. But let's just read the very first time God gives this, this promise, okay? And so we find that in Genesis 12. And the Lord says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this is the key bit. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, the chapter expands, and Genesis expands it, that the through you, specifically, it's through the seed of Abraham. Now, remember, seed is Jesus. So the promise and covenant that God is making here is that through Jesus, the whole world is going to be blessed. Now, what does that mean? What is blessed, right? Is, that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So, like, is he talking financial blessings? Like, we're going to get some money. That might be nice, you know. Is it that we're going to live happy, lovely little lives and, you know, hashtag blessed? Is, is that what it is? No. That's not what the blessing is. The blessing is the blessing of God himself. The Lord is saying to Abraham, there's going to come a day through your seed, that I am going to be able to give myself to my people fully. That the whole world can have access to me at all times. That's the promise. That's the covenant that Paul is referring to here. Which is a lovely plan. But sin is a real thing. And God is this holy and perfect and righteous God. And sin cannot stand in the face of holiness. So sin and transgressions keep us away from our God. 
And so the Lord, in his kindness, in his mercy, in his great love for us, he gives us the law. Not to to void the promise, but to give them rules and rituals and ways so that they could still interact with this holy and perfect God. The, The law was the only way his people could be with him. And that was going to have to do until Jesus could come. It's, it's a slightly silly example, but it's the best one I could think of, so go with me on this. If I said to you, Friday night, we're going to have a beach barbecue. We're going to hang out and have a barbecue, okay? Friday comes, it's pouring rain. So I say, okay, well, we, we're, we'll delay the barbecue, but come round to mine and I'll cook you dinner. The promise hasn't changed. We're still going to hang out. We're still going to be together. We're still going to connect. But the way that has to happen has changed. That's what the law does. It doesn't change God's promise. It doesn't change that he wants to be with you in every way. It doesn't change his heart to be one with you, to be unified with his people. It just postpones it until Jesus can come and make that fully real and fully true and fulfill all that the covenant and the blessing is. Okay, so let's continue to build on this idea. We're back in Galatians, verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying here that if you've accepted Jesus, if you have accepted this gospel of grace, you are one with him. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what class you come from. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. What matters is have you said yes to Jesus? Because if you have, you are one with him. You are unified with him. And if you're unified with him, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So when we give our lives to Jesus, we now get to accept the full blessing that God promised Abraham. And there's a key word in this passage that we've just read, and that's guardian. It came up a few times. And the word guardian there is the Greek word pedagogue, which has the same connotation of a school teacher. So Paul is saying the law was like our school teacher. It guided us. It, it taught us how to be faithful to God and how to trust that God was faithful to us. But it was never going to be the promise. It was never going to be the inheritance. You know, before I was a pastor, I was a school teacher. I taught uh, secondary school history and, uh, and government. And I loved my students. I was never going to give them an inheritance. 
they were never going to be my heirs. That wasn't my job. That wasn't my role. My job was to guide them as best I could into graduation, to help them be good people, good citizens, but to get them to what the actual goal was, the actual purpose was. My class wasn't the purpose. Graduation was the purpose. So my role was just to protect them, teach them, guide them till they could get there. That's what the law does for us. It teaches us these things. It guides our steps. It protects us. In some ways, it, it babysits us so that, you know, we don't burn the house down, right? But it was never going to be your inheritance. That was never God's plan or his promise or his covenant. So now is where things get really good. All of that was good, right? We've kind of ran through Galatians 3, and it was great. Galatians 1 to 3, very good. But now it gets even better, okay? So now we're in Galatians 4. This is where it's, it's really exciting. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So because of Jesus, because he came and redeemed us, because of what he did, we are no longer school children just following the rules set by our teacher. We're no longer slaves serving a kingdom we'll never inherit. No, now we are the children of God. We are his very heirs. And as his children and heirs, we get to call him Abba, Father. Now that word Abba is very significant. It's not a religious term. It's not a formal term or formal name. Abba is, is the word for dad that a, a kid would call his dad. It's like if you were, a, a kid skinned his knee on the park and he'd say, dad, dad, come help, you know, that, that's Abba. Or like, when my car breaks down, I call my dad, you know? That's, that's what Abba is. And so now, because of grace, because of Jesus redeeming us, we have that level of relationship, an Abba relationship, one of connection and personal relationship and connection with the holiest, holy, unbelievable, perfect, blameless, righteous God. That's what we have access to. Yes. And that is the great absurdity of grace. It 
is absurd that we who were sinners, and so by God's own word deserved death, that we would be forgiven. Not because we did anything, but because of what he did, he would forgive us. But not only would we be forgiven, but we would be welcomed into the family of God. And not only welcomed into the family of God, but we would be his kids. And not only his kids, but that we would be his heirs and that he would share everything he is and everything his kingdom carries. That is bonkers. That's wild. That doesn't make sense. But that's what Jesus does. That's what grace gives us. The law was never going to give you that. The law couldn't give you sonship. It couldn't give you adoption. But grace can. It's exactly what grace gives us. And there's a, a beautiful picture of this in the Gospel of Luke. And many of you will, will maybe be familiar with this story. We usually call it the prodigal son. But for those who are under the law and hearing this story for the first time, they would have more likely referred to it as the story of the compassionate father. And it tells the story of a wealthy Jewish dad with two sons, and his youngest son goes to him one day and demands his inheritance. And for a Jewish family, nothing could have been more offensive. It was the equivalent of him saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't care about you. I don't care about our relationship or our connection. I just want what you can give me. And so it would be better for me if you were gone. And so this father, heartbroken, gives his son the inheritance. And the son goes off and and squanders all of it. He loses every last penny of it. He he used it to fuel this wild living and this sinful lifestyle until eventually he has nothing left. And so he's literally sat in the mud, pretty much starving. And he finally has an epiphany. And he thinks, even the servants in my dad's house have it better than this. Maybe I could go back home. Maybe my dad would take me back. And so he starts to head home. And while he is still a long way off, the father sees him because the father is waiting for him. The father's expecting him to come. He's waiting, he's hoping, he's praying that someday his son's going to come back to him. And he doesn't care what's gone on in the meantime. He doesn't care what his son has done or or where his son has been. He just wants his son to come home. And so he sees him and he sprints as fast as he can to reach him. And Luke 15 tells us the story. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What a picture of grace. 
that the son, who we are exactly like, would lose everything the father had given him. We, just like the son, deny our father. We say, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you. Or, I just want what you can give me. So, yes, give me the favor, give me the gifts, but I actually don't want a relationship with you. We live our, our sinful lifestyles and run from him. The son loses everything, but the father gives everything in return. That is grace. That's what grace gives you. Grace gives you a father, a good father, a father who has plans for you, who has an inheritance for you. Jesus. And from that place of knowing that we have a good father, And that our good father happens to be the king of kings. He happens to be the Lord Almighty. From that place of knowing our identity as sons and daughters of God, everything else changes. If I know I'm a daughter of the king of the universe, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be worried about lack because... I know my dad's really generous, and he's a really good provider. And I don't have to try to strive or perform to earn his affection or forgiveness or anything like that because his attention's already on me. And I don't have to get competitive or jealous or or do things that he hasn't called me to do because he's got good plans for me. He's made me well. I don't have to do anything except be with my dad. You know, my earthly dad lives 3,500 miles away. And we haven't lived in the same place in like almost half my life. But he never forgets me. In fact, I can guarantee you he's watching this on YouTube. (laughs) Guaranteed. Hi, dad. He is. I know he is. And it's not because he cares about this lovely church in a place he's never been. It's because he cares about me. It's because he loves me and he wants to know about my life. And it doesn't matter where I've gone. It doesn't matter what I've done. I will always be his child. Always. And you might have had the greatest dad ever. You might be like, honestly, the best childhood, the most wonderful life. Guess what? Abba's even better. Or maybe you're on the other side, and you've had a really hard relationship with your dad. Maybe you've never even met your earthly dad. Abba's better. He's the best. This holy and perfect God has always wanted relationship with you. That's what grace gives us. A relationship with this incredible king and this incredible dad.